make me happy. So on a scale of one to 10, like that's a zero on the value scale. I, I place no value on, on pickles and mustard, but I, I've, I very highly value friendships and relationships. So I place a lot of value on friendship and relationship because those make me happy. Um, another study of teens, all right, now this is, this is a little younger, teens ages 13 to 18, revealed this about happiness, that in order to achieve happiness in America, here's what, what teens said you need to do. 40% of them said that you need a house, cars, and a good job. That's what you need to achieve happiness. Uh, 30% said to achieve happiness, you have to have the career of your dreams. Um, 20% said being rich and famous will make you happy. Uh, 10% said that owning their own business would make them happy. And then um, from there, there's some pretty low percentages of others and, um, you know, not sure kind of kind of uh, answers. So nowhere in that list are family, friends, or, um, oh yeah, a relationship with Jesus mentioned. So you can see where, where teens are, are being led to to find their happiness. And it's, it's not in relationships and it's not in a relationship with, with Jesus. And, and happiness, again, is not a bad thing, but again, it's, it's what you pursue to achieve that happiness that becomes dangerous. Dangerous, And with so many influences on kids these days, uh, you know, they, they're influenced at school. They're influenced, um, you know, by, by what they watch on TV, by what they see on the internet, magazines. Um, so many things are, are influencing kids. And um, it's pertinent now, I think, as, as parents and as a church body, uh, that we step in and become the two primary influences uh, in kids' lives. Now, I have a few other t- statistics before we jump in um, to share with you, and these are incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking statistics. Lifeway did a survey um, of people in America, and you know there, there's some margin of error here, but even if there's a two or three percent margin of error, these are still staggering statistics. So based on the biblical definition of what a Christian is, based on uh, faith alone and trusting in, in Jesus alone for salvation, that's it, on nothing else, here's the, the statistics. People over 65 in America, 65% of them claim that true definition of Christianity. Then you move down. And between the ages of 46 and 64, now 35% of those who are in that age range claim that true definition of Christianity. When you get down to the age range of 34 and 45, uh, 15% of them are claiming this true definition. And then this is where it really becomes heartbreaking. Somewhere um, from ages 16 to 33, somewhere between 8 and 12% of them are claiming that definition of what a true Christian is, and that's faith alone in Jesus. Not only that, but 70% of students, after they leave high school, at some point in their four years of college, are going to leave the church. Those who, are, those who are churched uh, in high school and growing up, 70% are going to leave the church when they get to uh, college at some point. So for some reason or another, people walk away from Jesus, right? I have friends that, that now, after being in youth group in high school, have, have started to claim atheism as their, as their belief, right? Um, some people are angry or bitter uh, and blame God for certain things that have happened in their life, so they turn their back on God. But for, for different reasons, kids are walking away from church. And so somewhere between this age of the older high school kids, um, you know, the 17, 18 year olds, and then college, there's a massive disconnect somewhere. So the question that we ask ourselves is, is where have we gone wrong, right? Where are we going wrong? Reggie Joyner wrote a book, it's called Orange, and it says this, 
Um, He has a quote that says this, most parents can give their children a lavish inheritance, but every parent will leave a personal legacy. Now, he doesn't say that you you might leave a legacy. What he says is that it's inevitable that you're going to leave a legacy on your kids. And, and that legacy is going to be determined by what you, what you value, right? What you, what you pursue with your kids. Do you, do you place the greatest value on the things that the world offers? As some of these kids said, you know, the job, uh, the money, the cars, um, owning your own, own business, stuff like that. Or do you place the greatest value on Jesus, on a relationship with, with Jesus? Now, leaving a legacy doesn't just come from, from what you place value on, right? You can leave a legacy based on, on your actions, based on what you teach, um, what you talk about, how you respond to certain situations. Um, so we're going to start in Psalm 78. If you guys have your Bible, we find a command here that is a command to parents, um, to, to church leaders, to, to Christians in general, um, as far as the next generation. And Here's what it says in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4. Um, The psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So, so God has obviously done some pretty amazing things through history. We read that all throughout scripture. And so what he's saying is, is don't keep these things to yourself, right? Here's what you need to do. You need to remember what God did. You need to remember what he said in his word. And then you need to teach that to the next generation so that they don't forget. So you need to tell them, right, of, of his power and of his glory, of his love, his justice, his mercy. You need to teach them who he is, what his character is, and what he's, what he's done. And his parents... Um, you are the primary influence in your kids' lives to make this happen. Now, a lot of people have this attitude, right? They say, um, you know, here are youth leaders, um, here are children's ministry leaders, here, here are church leaders. Um, take my kids and make them spiritual, right? I don't have time for that. I'm busy. I work. I drive them, you know, to and from sports. So I want you as the church to take them and make them spiritual. But that's, that's such a common misconception that we as church leaders and, and the teams that we have of lay leaders, that they are the primary spiritual influence in your kids' lives. Now, um, the, average, the average church leader in America, average, um, I think we as a church are a little above this average, but in America, the average church leader has 40 hours a year with a kid. 40 hours a year based on vacation, holiday, stuff like that. Okay, average church leader, 40 hours a year. Um, In contrast, the average parent, after you subtract out sleep, school, sporting events, you know, sleepovers, whatever else your kids are doing away from you, the average parent has 3,000 hours a year with their kid. So now you tell me, with with those numbers, would you rather the 40 hours a year to be the primary spiritual development of your child, or would you rather the 3,000 hours a year that you have be that primary influence? If you think about the next generation, you think about the statistics that we talked about earlier um, and, and how very quickly your kids can become one of those statistics, then this should be a very, very serious matter. Um, if you want to completely right, shatter this pattern of, of history um, that we see happening in our world today, 
as, as more and more people move further away from Jesus, then it needs to start um, with you as, as parents. So stick with me this morning. We're going we're to walk through a couple passages and kind of tear them apart a little bit and figure out what that's going to look like uh, with two influences. Um, one is going to be in the family and one is going to be in the, the church body. So um, you might look at me right, and say, Adam, you've been married like barely even nine months. And uh, how are you possibly going to tell me how to be a parent? Um, well, let's just take that. Okay, everyone take it up, ball that little argument up and throw it out the window because everything that we talk about this morning is going to be straight from the word of God, not from my mouth, all right? So we're going to see in here how God tells parents to respond to their kids. Now, one thing that um, I want to make clear also, this is, this is very earth-shattering, okay? So if you're not listening before, listen right now, okay? Earth-shattering stuff right here. Um, there is no perfect family, right? That's like, wow, how did you think of that? That's so enlightening, okay? No perfect family. If you look back in the families of the Bible, here's what we have, okay? You have the original family. You have Adam and Eve and their kids. Adam and Eve were perfect, right? Until they decided to disobey God and bring sin into our world. And uh, one of their sons killed the other one, right? So that's a, that's a pretty good family. Um, oh, uh, we could talk about, about Noah. Um, Noah was a good guy until you know, he got drunk and was just like kind of chilling in his tent naked and his son walks in, right? He like peeps in. He's like, oh, yo, guys, you know, come check out dad. You never believe. Like he's totally hammered. And he's just like laying out in the open, right? Like his kids want people to come look at him laying naked. That's messed up. Um, then you have Abraham. Abraham's given his wife to other people. So to protect himself, he's like, here, take my wife. Um, I don't want you to kill me. So here, she's my sister, right? She's not really my wife. Um, then you have Isaac. Isaac's wife and son, um, totally deceived him and stole from him. So these are the men in the Bible that we learn about as, as you know, the, the spiritual leaders in the Old Testament, and they're pretty messed up, and they got some messed up families. So again, there's no perfect family. I know, earth shattering. I got one more for you, okay? Parenting is hard. Another one, right? This guy just opened, oh, it's like, Adam, you're, you're amazing. How'd you think of that? Parenting is hard. And again, you say, um, how could you possibly know you're not a parent? All right, let me tell you this. I have them, and if anyone could make parenting hard growing up, <laughs> it, was, it was me. And uh, I'll give a shout out to my brother as well because we both made parenting very, very difficult, I'm sure. Um, so parenting is hard. But I ended up okay, I guess. So there's, there's hope for you that are like, man, yeah, it's hard. What am I gonna do with this kid, right? Um, there's hope, there's hope. So we have all different types of families in our body. And I know that we have some families that have um, you know, one parent in the home. And so as we walk through four, uh, four different influences in your family, um, keep that in mind that it's not only to people who are, who are a married um, you know, couple, but it's also to people who have single parent homes. So the place we're going to start, however, is in a marriage relationship. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, you find a man's responsibility, you find a wife or a woman's responsibility, okay? Um, first, in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So this love is not just whispering sweet nothings into her ear, right? It's not just buying her the occasional thing of flowers or roses. Um, what it is is, um, is giving of yourself. Now, you might think, whoa, hold on. Like, uh, I just worked eight hours a day. I just want to come home, you know, sit on my couch and have her serve me, right? Because I, I'm, you know, I'm the man, I just worked, whatever. Um, that's, not, that's, not, that's not loving your wife, right? Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ literally gave up his life. He gave up of himself for the church 
So if we're supposed to model that, then we need to be giving up ourselves for our wives, right? Men, give of yourselves, serve your wife. And if, if you truly understand the biblical model of what a, what a husband looks like in Ephesians, um, then that should be your attitude. It should be an attitude of, of loving her in the way that Christ loved the church. Now, the woman's responsibility is to submit to their husband, all right? Ephesians 5.22, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, one thing that I want to make clear is that men are dumb, and um, I know that, because <laughs> again, I'm a man, and uh, we're pretty dumb. So we usually take this verse, and we're like, yeah, submit, you know, go make me a sandwich, you know, submit, and then you like start doing the man chants, like, man, man, you're like beating your chest like a gorilla. Um, that's not, wives, let me tell you, that's not the type of submission that it's talking about. We're not like your ruler, we're not this all-powerful, do-what-I-say kind of person. Um, what that submission means is to be under the authority of, but not to be bossed around by, and not to be, um, you know, do, do whatever he says. That's not the kind of submission. It's, um, submission comes with respect, right? In order to submit to somebody, you have to respect them. If you don't respect them, you're not going to want to listen to what they have to say or, or what they have to, you know, how they lead the home. So submission, in a way, comes down to respect, all right? So in essence, what Paul is saying is, is submit to your husband, uh, respect your husband, and allow him to be the authority in your home. Now, we're not going to get too deep into that. There's a whole sermon that you could, you could teach just on that. Uh, but for the sake of our time this morning, we're not going to jump into it. But, but bottom line is this, is that husbands, you are loving your wife, and wives, you are respecting and submitting to your husband. Now, um, I didn't have perfect parents growing up. I know that's, that's hard to believe because you look at them now, and it's like, man, they're perfect, right? Um, but one thing that I always saw in their relationship was how consistent they were in treating each other. And consistency was based on a biblical uh, marriage and what that looks like. And even if there were issues, that happened behind the scenes and not out in the open where we could see that. If they had something they had to work through, it was never done in front of the kids. And so we always saw the love and the respect and the service to each other. That's what we saw growing up. And that's a perfect picture of Jesus' love for us and Jesus' submission to God the Father. Now, Doug Fields is one of the, um, the leading gurus of youth ministry in the country, and he, he wrote an article um, on 10 things that, that wives and husbands can do in front of their kids to model what a good biblical relationship would be. If you, if you want to be um, a godly example through your marriage to your kids, then here's, here's 10 practical things, all right? Um, Number one, he says, to show affection. Now, this is in front of your kids, and I know most of the time, like when my parents show affection, it's like, oh, gross, you know, like, what's it like, get a room, you know, that's what everyone says. Like, you don't want to see that, but if you show that affection, then your parents, um, then your kids will know, um, you know, my parents truly love each other, and that's what the affection is for. Uh, number two, he says, to say that you're sorry. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, don't just apologize, you know, behind closed doors, but, but let your kids see you're each other apologizing when you make a mistake. Uh, number three is affirmation. So thank your spouse for something they did, for who they are. Um, number four is attraction. Let your kids know that you think, you're, that you think your spouse is beautiful, right? Uh, let, let them know you think they're hot. Uh, you know, talk about them in front, of, in front of the kids and say, man, doesn't your mom look good today? Doesn't your mom look beautiful? Doesn't your dad look, you know, like you know, hubba hubba, whatever. Um, Number five, he says, time. Let your kids see that you enjoy spending time together. Um, you know, if you guys are going to get away for the weekend, uh, you know, let your kids know why you're doing that. We're getting away so that we can spend time with each other because we love each other. So time is a huge thing. 
Um, laughter, laugh together. Even if you don't think they're funny, okay? Just force out a laugh so that your kids think that you, you enjoy each other's company, right? Um, let your kids see that. Let your kids see you enjoying each other's company. Uh, respect. Listen, don't ever discredit or belittle um, your spouse in front of your kids because those little things are gonna, are gonna taint how, the, how your kids view that person that you're discrediting or um, talking down upon. So you need to respect them. Again, if you have an issue, work, work it out um, behind, behind closed doors. Faith conversations, all right? Talk to your kids about God. Talk to each other about God. Show the importance of, of God in your household by praying together and by having conversations about what he's doing in your life um, and, and about steps that you're taking to reach others. Let your kids see that. Uh, the, the ninth thing he says, he says, you know, to, to have friends. Show your kids that relationships are important, uh, that it's important to have people into your home, that it's important to, to have other relationships outside of, of the family. And then at number 10, he says, servanthood. So show your kids that you're willing to serve each other. So those are just 10 practical things. He says, look, if you want to model this in front of your kids, if you want to have an impact and influence your kids for the gospel, here's 10 things that you can be focusing on, even if you focus on two or three of them, that you can be modeling in front of your kids. And it's amazing. It's amazing what kids will pick up um, just by watching, right? It doesn't always have to be something that you tell them, but they're watching everything that you do. And so if you're modeling this type of relationship, then, um, then they're going to get it and they're going to remember that as they get older. Now, the second way, we're going to move on. The second way that um, a child can be influenced in the family is through fathers. So in Ephesians 6.4, staying, staying in the book of Ephesians, um, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Other translations say, uh, do not exasperate your children. Now, the, the Greek word, write this one down, okay? Write this down. It's... Uh, Paragidzo, that's very important that you know that, right? The Greek word is paragidzo. What it, what it literally means is to rouse to wrath. So what it's saying is that you're doing something that is literally making all this anger build up inside until the wrath just comes out. So he's saying don't do that. Now in this context, he's talking about um, instruction and discipline. And so number one thing that, that make your kids mad or angry around the house probably is rules and regulations, Right? You have rules that you set, you have regulations and standards you want them to live by, and if they don't meet that, or if they don't agree with the rules, then that sometimes makes kids mad, and it gets them frustrated. So what he's saying is that, that rather than disciplining them for no reason, rather than, sitting, rather than sitting them down and just laying into them for no apparent reason, he says make sure that the rules that you set um, are based on biblical principles. So he says bring them up in instruction and discipline in, in the Lord. Not just, you know, don't provoke them to anger. Don't just make random rules that makes no sense. But have some kind of biblical basis behind them so that you're training them um, to live God-honoring lives as you're disciplining and instructing. Here's, here's three examples that I thought of. Um, okay, here's a rule. Don't lie, right? That's, I mean, don't lie. You should just know that. But here, why? Why shouldn't I lie? Well, because um, Proverbs 6 tells us that God hates a liar. So back it up with, with biblical um, principles. Don't lie. God hates a liar. Here's another one. Don't have girls to the house when we aren't home. Well, why not? You know, why? Jesus tells us over and over again to watch out for temptation, to flee from temptation. You see through Joseph's life, right? He, he literally ran out the door in temptation. Um, so there's biblical principle to back it up. Uh, thirdly, you can, you know, have the rule, don't drink alcohol, don't do drugs. Well, why shouldn't I do that? Uh, because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that the, the body is a temple of God. And also it tells us in, in Romans 13 uh, that you're supposed to obey authority. And so if authority says, 
don't do alcohol, don't do drugs, um, then don't do alcohol, don't do drugs, because God says to follow authority. So those are just three examples, but make sure, Paul is saying, that when you're setting guidelines, when you're setting uh, rules in your house, make sure they have a biblical basis behind them, and make sure your kids know that, so they know that there's a reason why they get in trouble when they mess up, because they're not honoring God, and they're not walking in the character of, of who Jesus was. Now, moving from fathers, we're going to move on to wives, the third in, or, uh, to mothers. The third influence in your child's life and the family is through mothers. And what Titus tells us, Titus 2.4, he says this about mothers and wives. He says, love your husbands and your children. Be self-controlled, be pure, working at home, kind, submissive. And then here's what he says. He says, so that the word of God may not be reveled. So moms, have self-control, be patient, be loving, and be kind. Now, my mom is the perfect picture of this kind of mother. I think about when it says self-control, um, I don't think I've ever seen my mom yell uh, like ever, even like on a roller coaster. I don't think she'd yell. Actually, she wouldn't ride a roller coaster. Um, so she never yells. She's never lost her cool. Like I've never seen her get so impatient or frustrated with us that she completely just loses her cool and, you know, just like throws everything and, you know, just starts yelling. That's, that's not in her character. Instead, what would happen is that she would come alongside of, of us in love and, and kindness and patience and let us know that no matter what we did, the mistake that we made, that she always loved us no matter what. And so what he's saying is that should be your attitude. You should be, you should be kind and loving and be patient and be self-controlled so that, here's the key, so that um, the word of God is not insulted. So people can't find any fault in the Bible, right? God says to live like this, moms. Why aren't you living like that if you claim to be a Christian, right? You, you can't give them any kind of leeway into saying, well, you're not living consistently if you believe it. Um, then the Bible must not be, you know, you can, you can really argue around that. So he's saying, uh, moms, live like this so that the Bible can't be insulted, but so that it can be found to be legitimate. That's what, that's what he's saying here. So we have two verses so far um, in, in these two passages that, that tell parents, um, you know, how, how to, to parent your kids, moms and dads. Um, we have command to discipline. We have command to instruct in the name of the Lord. Uh, we have the, the personality traits of, of kindness, um, love, patience, self-control, um, and I don't know about you, but when I think about those, those different characteristics, uh, those commands, that sounds a lot like, um, like Jesus to me. So in essence, okay, if you didn't get those, the top 10 list, the things, you know, that you should do to each other, um, in front of your kids, you know, the way you should act, if you didn't get anything else that I said, remember this, okay, moms and dads live like Jesus. Okay. That's simple. That's, that's an easy one. That's three words. Live like Jesus. And the way to do that is to, to read and to, to figure out who Jesus was, how he responded, how he was kind and loving, and how he had self-control, how he instructed people in the Lord, and how he disciplined people in the name of the Lord. Um, that's who Jesus was. And so, in essence, what he's saying is moms and dads live like Jesus. Now, there's one more. Um, now, this, this list, by the way, is not exhaustive, of course. There's so many principles in here on parenting um, and how the, the family can influence kids. But the fourth one I want to look at, and uh, oh, you, you know, plug your ears, because uh, we're going to talk about discipline. And um, the Bible actually commands parents to discipline their kids. I know you guys don't want to hear this because you're like, what? Oh, man, are you telling me? Okay. Um, so this is, this is <laughs> it doesn't give, give your parents permission, right? What it does is it tells them and encourages them to discipline. Here's, here's the passages we're going to walk through. Um, Proverbs 13, 24. It says that whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Um, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So he who hates his son uh, doesn't, doesn't discipline. 
It's pretty harsh, okay? So parents, hear this. If you're not disciplining your kids, it says spare the rod, but it's not just talking about taking a meter stick and beating your kid, right? It's not go find the, you know, a switch and you know, find your own switch so I can beat you. It's, it's discipline. It's all kinds of discipline. So if you're not disciplining your kid, here's what it says that you hate them. Hate is like such a strong word. And so if you're saying that you don't discipline because you hate them, that's harsh, all right? Uh, and here's the reason why the, um, here's why Proverbs says that. In Hebrews, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So if you discipline your kids, one, that means obviously you don't hate them, so you love them. When you discipline, you're showing them that you, you love them. And here's why you do it, because later it'll yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. So in the end, even if, you know, it says it hurts at, at the time, the thing I always got, you know, from my parents is this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. I'm like, yeah, right, you know, give me the, give me the belt and we'll see how much it hurts, right? Um, but, you know, it, what it's saying is that um, you need to discipline. It's commanding discipline. It's encouraging discipline because your kids are going to get older and they're going to remember that and it's going to yield righteousness because you're instructing them, right? And again, make it about the principles in, that you find in the Bible. Discipline, discipline proves love, and no discipline shows that you don't really care about them. Now, um, one final verse to wrap up this section of what we're talking about as far as family. Um, and this is a good verse just, just in general, talking to parents. Uh, it says in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. The way he should go is to follow Jesus. That's the way he should go. Whether or not he or she goes that way, this is what it tells us the way he should go. So train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So here, now we find a solution to this disconnect we talked about earlier. The disconnect between the high school years, the college years, and then life beyond, right? These are the years where kids really start kind of thinking for themselves. They kind of start getting a little more uh, independent. They get off to college and it's like, wow, I'm by myself. Now I can really figure out what this faith means. So if you're training a kid in the way he should go throughout his life, when he gets to that point, then it's not going to be that much different. He's not going to get out of the house and be like, oh my gosh, like this is way different than what I saw in my house. This, you know, that, that faith was, that was weird. This is different, you know. If you train them up in the way they should go, then when they get out of high school and get out of your home, then they're going to already know these principles that they should live by. So train up a child in the way he should go, following Jesus, even though, or even when he is old, uh, he will not depart from it. Now, um, the Bible is full of instructions, uh, to parents on how to raise your children. And I just want to give you four practical ways we can do that. Um, I say we, eventually I'll probably have a kid, hopefully, um, God willing. So I'm, I'm obviously going to learn from this now and try to, to, to live by these eventually. But uh, Deuteronomy 6, if you guys will turn there with me, um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, and this is, this is Moses. He, he is talking to, to Israel um, and kind of reiterating the uh, the principles and the rules and the commands that God has given him off of, um, you know, Mount Sinai. And he's going to say before he passes away, here's all the rules that, that God gave us. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and um, in verse 4, here's what it says. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Um, in verse 7 here is key. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Um, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, with all your soul, and with all your might. So in everything that you do in your life, um, love God, glorify God 
through that, through your actions, live it out, okay? Number one here, the order is love the Lord your God. So live it out first, right? If you're not living it out, then you're not properly going to be able to train your kids. So here's what he says first. Uh, Live it out, okay? Love the Lord your God. Know how to do that. And then he says to teach that to your kids all the time, okay? Not just, you know, once a week or, you know, after church, you ask them how church was, okay? All the time. And so he gives us four practical ways we can do that. Um, He says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So when you sit in your house, uh, the best time, I think, to do this in your house is over a meal. I don't know if you, how, you know, your, your dinners are. I know family life is crazy with sports and um, other things going on and you're all over the place sometimes. Um, but the best time to do this and have a really intimate conversation is, is over dinner because you can really reflect on how their day was and you can encourage them, you know, uh, not, not, you know, uh, hey, Jimmy, how was your day? And he's like, good. You know, you got to like ask some more questions than that. You can't just accept one word answers. Um, you know, you have to say, well, why was it good? You know, what happened today that made your day so good? Or, you know, you know, my day sucked. Well, why'd your, you know, why was your day so bad? You know, pry into that. Don't just, don't just, you know, um, take one word answers from them. Um, reflect on the day and uh, take that opportunity to speak truth into their, into their life. Uh, the second thing he says is to walk by the way. Um, now, I know a lot of you, again, live incredibly busy lives. And back then, um, they didn't have cars, so when they walked, by the way, they literally were walking, by the way. Um, No matter where they were going, they were walking or taking a donkey or a camel uh, or something like that. Um, But here's here's what he's saying now for us practically is that when you're driving, okay, when you're you're driving to and from school, when you're driving to go take them to play, you know, sports, when you're picking them up from practice uh, to your friend's house to dinner, whatever you're doing when you're driving, when you're driving, by the way, um, he says take that as an opportunity to speak to your kids. So when you're driving, this is a little less less formal, obviously. You don't want to be too, you know, into the conversation because you got to pay attention to what you're doing when you're driving. Um, but it's saying, you know, when you're, when you're driving your kids, make sure that you're using that to speak, speak truth. Um, when, you, when you lie down, when it's bedtime, okay, pray with your kids. It's another perfect opportunity to speak truth. And, uh, you know, if it was a rough day, then encourage them. Tell them that tomorrow's new. You know, God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, today might have been terrible, but tomorrow's a, a fresh day. Um, so, you know, get some rest and you know, tackle the day tomorrow. And then it says when you rise. So when they wake up, again, encourage them. Uh, encourage them to look for, for God in new, fresh ways through the day. Uh, you know, maybe you saw God through um, this interaction with your friend at school yesterday. So today, you know, why don't you look for God as you're in PE class or something like that and try to, try to look for him and reveal, you know, himself to you then. Encourage them to look for God throughout their day um, because he's there, you know, and, and a lot of times we just go about our days and we don't even think about that. So as parents, um, you guys have, have so much opportunity and responsibility to speak into your kids' lives and uh, far more opportunity than I and my teams have, than, than we as a, a church team has. Now, we as student and children ministry teams, we uh, take every advantage that we have with, with your kids. Uh, you know, we love on them, we worship with them, we pray with them. Uh, we teach them God's word every time that we meet, uh, minus a few fellowship events that we have. Uh, but we take those times very seriously, and, and the kids know that because we tell them that. And we want them to understand that, um, you know, that God and faith is a serious thing. And then when you get out into the world, it's going to become hard to live that out. So we, we try with every moment that we have um, to, to train and to instruct and, and to encourage. And so my encouragement to you and my challenge to you as parents would be to do the same thing. Right? 3,000 hours sounds like a lot, and maybe every single minute that you have is not going to be spent that way. Um, but take advantage of the opportunities you have to speak truth into their lives. Um, now, I want to move on and, um, in, into the church body uh, and 
and just talk real quickly to those. I know there's some of you out there that um, don't have kids. You know, maybe your kids are, are in college and they're out of the house now. Uh, maybe you're not married yet. Um, but there's still a great responsibility for uh, us as a church body to these kids as well, right? Two primary influences are the parents and the church body. Um, so I want to I wanna look real quickly at 1 Corinthians, if you guys will flip over there with me. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And... Uh, Verse 12 is where we're going to read, and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit, but um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And then verse 14 says that the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Um, so let me tell you this, the human body, okay, I'm not an um, anatomy expert or anything like that, but I looked online and uh, so hopefully this is right. Um, 206 bones. I'm pretty sure that's right. I learned that in high school. Um, approximately, I don't know how it can be approximate, but I guess depending on certain things, uh, 640 skeletal muscles. That's a lot of skeletal muscles. Um, 22 organs and roughly 100 trillion cells. All right? Our body is extremely complex. And uh, there's so many different parts that make our body work. So what he's emphasizing here is that um, we have unity but diversity, right? There's so many different parts uh, in our body. So if you, if you look around right now, uh, minus a couple sets of twins that I know we have, uh, which they're not even exactly alike, right? There's no two people in here that are exactly alike. The body is very, very diverse, and we all have different gifts, and we have different ages. We have different spiritual maturities. Uh, we have different places of, of people, in, you know, where they are in life, um, so he says that the body is extremely uh, diverse. Now, real quickly, just to clarify, when he talks about the body of Christ, um, in order to be in, included in the body of Christ, one has to be a Christian. Uh, you enter into the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then you enter into that, uh, that relationship and into the body. So now, not only is the body diverse, but it's also interdependent. All right, Verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Right? On the contrary, um, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty, which our, our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part uh, that lacked it. So, so interdependence um, is what the key is right here. Uh, there's, there's no part of the body that's not important, right? There's certain parts of our body that if they fail, uh, we struggle to stay alive. Parts of our body are very, very important, right? If, if you lose, um, even like if you break your big toe, it's hard, it's hard to walk because that creates the balance for us. So um, little parts of our body, parts that seem very weak are very, very important um, in our church. And um, even think about, let's, let's talk about not, not a Christian context, but let's talk about just in general the body that we have here at Northwest. Think about the babies, Okay, the baby, how, how are they important, right? The, the babies are important because they provide opportunity for people to serve, right? We're called to serve, so you have, you have babies, and that provides that opportunity um, for service. Um, one final part of the body, and I know I'm kind of breezing through this a little bit. Uh, one part, final part of the body, and this, um, this is the key that I want you guys to get. This is verses 25 and 26. Um, here's, what, here's what he says. There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what Paul is saying here is that um, like, we're all in this together. There, there's no one that we're going to get 
get lost you know, on the wayside. We're, we're all in this, this together. Uh, we're, we're all one big body together. Uh, if you rejoice, right, we're going to rejoice with you. If, um, if you hurt, we're going to hurt with you. If, if you walk down a tough path, we're going to walk down that path with you because we are in this um, together. And as the weaker, now we've been talking about the younger generation, as the weaker, um, as, as the younger, as the spiritually immature, um, that next generation needs you, okay? They need parents, number one, and they need the rest of the body. If we're gonna change this, this statistic um, and, and be able to say, you know what, now the percentage is going up because we have reached out to this next generation of kids. Um, there's something crazy that happens when they hear another voice. I can remember uh, with Justin Eisner one time, I had this conversation with him and Brian told me the next day, he says, it's crazy, man. Like he came home and uh, he thought that you were just the smartest, smartest person ever. And he's like, but I've been telling him the same thing for like three or four years. He said, but coming from a different voice, he got it, like something clicked, right? So you have to have other voices speaking into your life. Now, um, there's a lot of ministries in our body, and uh, I know that um, a lot of you are serving dependent on different gifts. I want to show you guys something, if you guys can come up now. And if there's some students, any student we have, can you guys come up here in the front and then everyone else from the back that's entering right now? I want you guys to see these, these kids. And then if you guys are students, stand up. Middle school, high school students, come up to the front. I know you guys didn't know I was going to do this, but it's okay. You guys are beautiful. And they're still, oh, we got some preschoolers. That's what I'm talking about. They're the cute ones. No offense, elementary school kids. All right, so as they're coming in, um, just kind of look at them. I mean, this is, this is the next generation we're talking about. Okay, I want you guys to put a face with what we're talking about this morning. Um, this is the next generation. And um, one of two things can happen. Um, either one, unfortunately, uh, if we don't do something about it, they can very quickly become that statistic that we were talking about earlier. Um, or this potentially right here, I know you can look at some of them and you're like, oh, that's kind of scary. But this potentially could be the future of our church, right? This potentially is, is going to be the future church leaders. These are the people that are going to completely shatter um, what's becoming the norm in America today. And that's that people are, are beginning to walk away from their faith, walk away from the church. And so we as a congregation, we as a, a body of Christ, you as parents have a, a huge responsibility to these kids, right? Look at them. They're beautiful. Thank you guys for coming in. So this is it, all right? This is the next generation. I want you guys to see that. Hey, Eden. You want to come up? Okay, you guys can go. All right, I just, I just wanted you to come in and so you guys can see that. So this is, this is it. All right, so with, as they're leaving, with this idea of interdependence, um, these kids are depending on you guys, all right? These kids are depending on you. First and foremost, um, we spoke to parents, okay? Parents, we, we talked about four things. They, they're depending on you um, to, to model what, what a biblical home looks like through, um, number one, through, through a biblical model of marriage, all right? Number two, we talked about the biblical model of, um, of fatherhood, Number three, we talked about a biblical model of, of motherhood. And number four, we talked about a biblical model of, of discipline and instruction. Um, and then as a church body, um, they're depending on you. Again, we're, we're all one diverse body unified through the Holy Spirit, um, all, all different parts working together. And, and those kids and, uh, and our students depend on you, 
And, and so just to close out before they come up on stage, and um, we got one more song, I guess. Um, I just want to tell you, this is, this is my, it's not shameless, but it's my plug, okay? Children's ministry. We got some big things coming in July in children's ministry. Uh, we're going to be changing up some stuff pretty, pretty heavily, and so we're going to require more leaders um, than we have currently serving right now. Why do we need leaders in children's ministry? We need leaders to love on the kids. I mean, they're beautiful. They're, 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 they're adorable kids, and they're fun to be around. And, and so they need people to love on them, to make them feel important. We need people to, um, to, to pray with them, to, to cry with them sometimes. We need people to uh, teach them biblical truth. We need, we need people to teach them God's word, um, and, and then to connect with them and, and you know, basically do life with them. Uh, we need that, and we need, we need more people who, who can do that with our kids. Uh, students also, we're going to be rolling out in the fall um, student small groups, and so what that's going to look like is three students and one leader. Um, right now, we can't do that. We don't have enough leaders to do that. Um, so if we want to be able to reach these kids on, on a smaller level and be able to have these small, as Jesus modeled, um, you know, Jesus and his three closest disciples, uh, if we're going to take that model and try to apply that, we need more leaders. We need people who are going to be able to speak truth, people that, again, can pray with them and cry with them uh, and encourage them and, and walk through life with them on a week-to-week basis. So um, those are two major opportunities um, that you guys can have to impact this next generation. So the question um, that I just want to end with is, you know, after, after we looked in God's word and after I, I spoke with you guys, um, are you guys going to join uh, with us as we continue to pour our lives into these kids? So um, you, guys, you guys pray with me.